The governor signs a package of criminal justice reforms, and he visits the White House to talk about infrastructure. The legislature's top ethics watchdog hands in her resignation in protest, and a controversial redistricting plan is being tested in federal court. Those are just some of the events from a fairly busy week in Illinois. We'll talk about all that on this edition of Capital Cast. Hello and welcome to Capital Cast, a regular podcast of Capital News Illinois. I'm Peter Hancock, and with me here, as always, is our State House Bureau Chief, Jerry Nowicki. Uh, Jerry, one of the biggest pieces of news this week was signing of Senate Bill 2122, which prohibits police from lying or using deceptive interrogation practices on juveniles. The bill signing took place up at Northwestern University Law School in Chicago, and one of the people there was Terrell Swift, who spent 15 years in prison for a rape and murder he didn't commit. I want to play a little bit of what he had to say. This bill, um, I truly believe, could have saved my life. Um, When it was first brought to me, it touched me in that sense that it could have saved my life. Um, But the reality is I can't get what I got back. So moving forward, I want to try and help and make sure that this doesn't happen again. We don't need another Terrell Swift, Michael Saunders. (laughs) We have so many exonerees over here, Jock, Johnny. I mean, you can just pick one. Um, And this, this happens so much. And it's something that needs to change. Granted, this, this bill passing is a, is a great step, but we still have so much work to do. Uh, we still have so much work to do because there are so many brothers and sisters still there now wrongfully. And we can all agree that one day in prison wrongfully is too long. So you covered that bill signing. Uh, what was Mr. Swift's story? How did he wind up in prison for a crime he didn't commit? Yeah, uh, long story short, when he was 17 years old, um, he and three others, now known as the Inglewood Four, um, they were all in their teens, uh, had falsely confessed to that crime uh, and were exonerated in 2011 um, by DNA evidence. Uh, So what Mr. Swift got up there and said, he's, you know, I was told a series of lies in custody starting with police telling my uh, dad and my uncle that they're taking me to one police station and they took me to another. And he says, then then the lies just escalated from there. Um, so, you know, when you're a kid uh, in your teens, whatever, you're more likely to sort of um, believe that stuff. You know, uh, one of the examples, a woman from the Centers uh, for Wrongful Convictions, uh, she said, you know, if you tell a kid, hey, if you just confess, you're going to get to go home or your DNA was found on the body, you don't know how they're going to respond. Um, And, you know, it could end up in a wrongful conviction. And in Illinois, there's been, I think she said, 100 uh, recorded wrongful convictions based on false confessions and 31 of those uh, were a uh, child. So, I mean, it's, it's pretty, it's a problem. And this Illinois has become the first state in the nation to have a, a law like this on the books and it'll take effect in January. And the bill signing took place at Northwestern up in Chicago. 
in part because that's the school that sort of launched uh, the movement to uh, get rid of the death penalty in Illinois. Yeah, I believe so. And uh, Laura Nyrider, um, the woman I was referring to earlier, uh, she's the co-director of the Center for Wrongful Convictions at uh, the Northwestern uh, Pritzker School of Law. Okay. And so that was just one of a package of bills that he signed. Can you kind of sum up briefly what were the what was in the other uh, the other yeah. bills? Another one of them allows uh, state's attorneys to file a motion to resentence a defendant if uh, they believe the original sentence no longer advances the interest of justice. Uh, that would be in a situation where the person is a reduced risk to society uh, due to age or health. Um, and just uh, proof of rehabilitation. So it's just, uh, as the governor said, an effort to kind of control the incarceration rate. Um, and that still gives victims their rights under under existing law, uh, and it wouldn't uh, be a retrying of a crime, uh, just a resentencing, and it can't be a longer sentence. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say that you know sentencing guidelines are revisited all the time. Sometimes we lengthen uh, the recommended sentence for a crime. Sometimes they're shortened. Uh, so there are people in prison serving sentences that are much longer than they would be if the person were convicted of the same crime today. So this just allows prosecutors to go back and say, hey, we don't treat this crime the same way anymore. Right. And the, some of the advocates there said, you know, we need to expand this. We need to have the uh, uh, person that's incarcerated be able to submit those type of motions too. But that's not in this law. Okay. So... I'm sorry, go ahead. Were there any others? Yeah, there was another measure uh, giving privilege uh, to any information shared in a restorative justice court. That means it, it couldn't be used in any civil, uh, criminal, juvenile, or administrative proceeding. Now, criminal justice uh, courts are sort of uh, like a mediation type situation, and they want to encourage open sharing in those. So they put a privilege on that with one of the laws. And then another is a task force uh, also designed to kind of look at incarceration rates. Okay. And so the day before that bill signing, uh, Governor Pritzker was at the White House with President Biden and a lot of other governors from around the country talking about infrastructure. Uh, he talked a little bit about that at the bill signing. Uh, let's listen to what he had to say. Uh, before I begin, I want to just briefly speak to yesterday's meeting at the White House with President Biden and Vice President Harris. Uh, we had a discussion about federal infrastructure package. To be clear, Illinois is defining what it means to invest in infrastructure in today's economy. And I'm very proud that just yesterday CNBC named Illinois as the best state in the nation for infrastructure investment. I'm very proud of that. And so just briefly, and I will move on to the topic of the day, but I wanted to make sure and address this for members of the press, that through the bipartisan Rebuild Illinois Capital Plan, we're investing $45 million, $45 billion, uh, into the greatest foundations for a strong economy, something that'll create jobs for everybody. That's roads and bridges, waterways and airports, community colleges and universities, a stable early childhood uh, 
infrastructure, something extraordinarily important to me personally, uh, more access to better health care for everyone, confronting climate change, and bringing high-speed broadband to every corner, every block, every corner of this state. A 21st century infrastructure package must address 21st century challenges. We're doing that here in the state of Illinois, and that's exactly what the president is working to pass at the federal level. It will be an enormous assistance to all of us. So we just heard him talk about the 2019 capital plan in Illinois, a $45 billion uh, infrastructure bill. Uh, Congress is having a hard time passing an infrastructure bill. There seems to be bipartisan agreement on some of the things the president wants to put in there, but not on how to pay for it. Uh, so bringing the governors on board, inclu- including Republican governors, does that seem like maybe a smart move on the president's part? Bipartisanship makes it gives you some credence in many areas in terms of being able to maybe get a couple, as we know, it's a 50-50 divided Senate, so maybe it gets a couple Republican votes and shifts the scale. So who knows um, whether that'll work. I think one of the interesting things was the governor actually had one-on-one time uh, with the president, which, you know, you don't get all the time. And uh, he said they discussed to an extent some of the the violence that's going on nationwide and in Chicago and Rockford and other areas of the state kind of address that too. So it's interesting to have the governor with the, with the one-on-one. Okay. And another big story this week was the sudden resignation of the legislative inspector general, Carol Pope, who's kind of the chief ethics watchdog over the legislature. She'd been on the job for all of two years, a little more than two years, uh, she spent must, much of this past legislative session pushing for ethics reform measures that uh, ended up not going through. Uh, so she ended up resigning in protest. First of all, was this a surprise, do you think? You know, maybe, maybe not, but there's been a couple. I think the last two or three have resigned early, whatever it was. I think there was a three-year period where there was no inspector general. Um but you know, she she had lobbied for the ability to issue subpoenas, which I don't know how realistic that ever would have been, but the new ethics provision didn't have that. One of the things that she had noted in her complaint was that the new ethics bill actually may have limited her scope of authority in that she couldn't uh, initiate a investigation based on someone's conduct that's not related to their public office. So the circumstance she brought up was, say, if someone posts revenge porn uh, in a circumstance completely unrelated to their public office, she couldn't investigate that um, and or tax evasion or whatever else that's not related to public office. She couldn't investigate that either under these new circumstances. So she called it a paper tiger position and she quit. Okay, so there was a lot of reaction from Republican lawmakers, not so much from Democratic lawmakers. Um, Wondering, is is this a potential liability for Democrats? Does this make them look bad? Uh, You know, I think, you know, what we're seeing with some of the Democrats, with Commonwealth Edison's connection to Speaker Madigan, who has not been charged, uh, and then you have Larissa Luis Arroyo, who was charged, Martin Sandoval, who was charged, uh, 
uh, Terry Link, who was charged, all those Democrats. Um, I think that's much more of an issue if the feds continue to levy indictments. And, and the notable thing is, regardless of ethic laws, everything those people engaged in was already illegal. So, you know, if, if I don't know that too many people, it'll be on their radar about the inspector general, but um, certainly indictments will. Okay. Well, another big piece of legislation that went through this year, of course, was the legislative redistricting bill. That's something they do every 10 years to align House and Senate districts with the latest population, uh, with the latest census. Democrats in the legislature passed this bill, despite the fact that they still don't have the official census data. And that has prompted a pair of federal lawsuits one by Republican leaders and another by the Mexican-American Legal Defense and Education Fund, or MALDEF. Those are being heard together by a three-judge panel in federal court. And this week, we kind of got our first look at how the cases are going to play out. Plaintiffs, uh, both sets of plaintiffs, are arguing that the use of survey data and population estimates from the American Community Survey just aren't reliable enough for the purpose of redistricting, and therefore you're not going to get the one-person, one-vote standard that is required under the U.S. Constitution. Republicans are asking the court to order the formation of that legislative bipartisan commission to redraw the maps. That's the process outlined in the state constitution. And the state is expected to file a motion to dismiss the lawsuit, arguing that we don't know whether the maps violate the U.S. Constitution until the census numbers come in. So there's no need to even hear the case, at least not yet. Uh, Illinois has been down this path or similar paths before. I'm not sure that there's ever been a case quite like this one. Uh, Trial in the case, uh, if there is a trial, is tentatively set for the end of September. Uh, What do you think about this, Jerry? Uh, Does the legislature have a leg to stand on without actual census numbers? Well, as you noted, the the trials set end of September, but we're going to get the census numbers, I think, in mid-August. So could the legislature call a special session and tweak the maps in regard to that? I think maybe they could, and then we'll see how the court reacts from there. I don't know. Now, uh, you know, it's hard to kind of prognosticate in such a strange circumstance that we haven't seen before, but you said MALDEF and uh, the Republicans, they were looking for this maybe to be pushed to a commission? Yeah, and that seems to be exactly what the Democrats wanted to avoid, which is why they pushed through the map so early, even though they didn't have the census numbers, uh, trying to meet a June 30th deadline set out in the state constitution. Uh, So they wanted to avoid that at all costs, because if you go there, then you start off with neither side having a partisan advantage. It's four Democrats and four Republicans. And if they can't meet a certain deadline, then uh, a ninth person is added. Uh, The name is drawn out of a hat or something, uh, giving one side or the other. So Republicans conceivably would have a 50-50 shot at getting a partisan advantage through the commission. 
and Democrats want to avoid that at all costs. I'm just wondering how likely it is that a federal court is going to invoke the state constitution and order uh, that kind of a commission to be formed. I think, yeah, I think that was uh, Michael Casper's argument, who's the attorney on behalf of the state in this, if, if I read your story correctly. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, the state, I guess, is hoping that this case will get thrown out or uh, at least resolved maybe as soon as the census numbers come out. Uh, I guess we're just going to have to wait and see on that. Well, that's about all the time we have for this edition of Capital Cast. Capital Cast is a production of Capital News Illinois, a statehouse reporting project of the Illinois Press Foundation. Until next time, this is Peter Hancock with Jerry Nowicki saying stay safe and thank you for listening.